Good morning, church. It's good to see each and every one of you. I want to thank you for your prayers, your cards, your text messages. Uh, It's been a challenging week. Um, When my brother was diagnosed with brain cancer just two months ago, we never thought it would go this quick. Um, And just as you have faithfully and always pray for one another and the emails come out and you pray for each other, you did the same for me, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, My family thanks you, and I just ask that you pray for my sister-in-law, Kathy, and uh, her kids, my mom, uh, and the rest of our family. There there are 90 of us just in our immediate family, okay, 90. And uh, besides my dad, my brother David are the only two that have passed away. And so we have this incredible longevity. I don't know if that's a blessing or not. But you know, someday it's going to happen. And when it does, it's good to know you've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are there for you, praying for you. So thank you. Um, last Sunday, some of you came up to me and said, how's your brother David? And some of you know, I looked you in the eye and said, can't talk to you about that right now. Because if I do, I probably won't be able to preach. Um, because I knew where it was and what was happening. And it was, um, was challenging. But God is still God. And I can give him glory and praise for that. Um, I, have, I have no idea how to transition out of that into the sermon. So <laughs> grab your Bibles, would you please? Um, I do have a question and a riddle for you, and the answer will be the same. So let's try that. I'll give you a question. I'll give you a riddle. And hopefully your answer will match up. And I'll give you my answer, and we'll see how, how close we come to all of this together. So here, here's the first question. What have you witnessed lately over the past year? Something you saw, something you heard, something that just took your breath away and you're like, I'm speechless. I'm just, I have no idea what to say. Whether it was uh, some kind of scene, like a nature scene, a mountain, the ocean. Maybe you had the honor of seeing something like the Grand Canyon. Uh, You saw something and you're just like, "Ah, I have nothing to say. Maybe it was a sunset. A field of flowers, or maybe it's a work of art. Maybe it's a, a gymnast doing some kind of aerial feat. You're just like, wow. Or maybe like uh, this, this past week um, at the funeral, sitting there, one of my nieces just, um, actually, my, I didn't explain the niece situation, but anyway, she's like nine maybe. I can't remember how old she is. My wife will help me out. Eight, seven, six, three? Anyway, she had the most heavenly voice. I was like, not three, she was like eight or nine, ten, I don't know. But anyway, um, it's the most heavenly voice. And as she sang, I'm like, thing. I, couldn't, I couldn't say anything. I was just like, it was beautiful. Well, when's the last thing you heard, saw something, just, you, know, just, you just stopped, you're speechless. Okay, got your answer? Let me give you the riddle, and I'll put the riddle up on the screen because even I can't repeat it. As a child, I didn't fully get it. As a teenager, I was oblivious to it. As a young man, I began to understand it, and now in my adulthood, I am blown away by it. What is it? So there's a riddle, and then I have a question. And I actually have the same answer for both of them today. Here's my answer. You ready for this? God's amazing grace. Did you come up with a similar answer? Because here's what it is. Grace is receiving something I do not deserve. 
That's what grace is. Forgiveness, eternal life, I do not deserve it whatsoever. The grace of God leaves me speechless. It blows me away. Why would God ever want to rescue me? Why would a a holy God, an almighty, powerful, all-knowing, creator, perfect, eternal God, show grace to me, to you? In comparison, I, I sit there and think about why would he want to have a relationship with me? What can I give back to God? What, what can you give back to God? Riches? Jewels? Gold? I mean, really, can you give anything to God? What do you give to somebody who has everything? Right? And some of you, you struggle with that at Christmas. And if you've not started, by the way, I guess you're supposed to start because we're going to be out of supplies, whatever. And if you think your Christmas is ruined because there's nothing on the shelves... You need to keep coming to church here so you can figure out what the real meaning of Christmas is all about. I think this might be the best Christmas ever, actually, without stuff on the shelves. Because we're going to figure out who our Savior really is this year. And if you haven't figured out, go to Hobby Lobby. they got Christmas all over the place, okay? so, But here's the thing. You know, at Christmas, you're like, I have no idea what to get that person who has everything. How about God? I mean, really. I mean, we're sitting there thinking, what can I give God? All I can do is give Him what? We actually sort of sang about it. This is our worship. That's really all he wants, to be before God and to admit that he is God, to sing to God, to worship God, to, to just go before him and say, pure God, I am not. What do you want me to do for you? And worship him. We, we know this. God gives life, right? And then he created us. Then he gives us direction in life because he knows as human beings, we are disorderly, we're chaotic. We need direction in life. So he gave us laws, he gave us commands. And we try to live out those commands. We try to give, live out those laws. But because we are human, because we are disobedient, rebellious, we go against those laws that God gave us. Like, I give you life, I'm giving you direction. We're like, thanks God, I'll go my own direction. We call that sin. And sin separates us from God. It's like this big chasm between us and God, like, like in the picture up there where there's just two structures of land with this huge canyon between us. And there's no way to cross it. There's no bridge long enough to bridge that gap. We just can't do it. And, and here's the problem that's in between us and God, and it's sin. And it must be dealt with. You know, years ago I was driving down the road and this was many years ago. And, and as I was driving down the road, I put down my window. But as I was putting down my window, I heard it sort of clinking and some noise making. And the window sort of shifted and went down. I'm going, uh-oh, that doesn't sound good, right? Well, I got to my destination, put up the window. I was like, okay, it goes up. But when I closed the door, it made another sound. I'm going, okay, that's not good either. Now, my expertise of cars and parts and all those kind of things are very limited. So I took my car off to a dealership to get it looked at. Sure enough, there's a broken piece uh, inside the door. Now, they had torn it all apart, obviously, to find that broken piece. And they called me to tell me, here's what the problem is. There's a broken piece inside. Would you like us to order the part and fix it for you? I'm sure inside, I'm sitting there going, no, just leave it all torn apart. I'll just drive it with it open. You know, and I, I don't know what I was thinking in my, my head, but of course, like, yes, please, could you do that? Thank you. And so they ordered the part. Well, they called me the next day and they said, you know, as we started to fix it, we found another part that was broken. Would you like us to 
fix that piece as well. And yeah, I'm going to tell you my inner thoughts, but my outer thought was like, yes, please, I, I need to have that taken care of as well. And I know uh, verbally, internally, externally, I know there was a big ouch. Like, really? But I was thinking about this. The same thing happens when we drop off our life to God. Because he opens us up and he finds that broken part inside us. And he says, would you like me to fix this? Of course, there's a cost. You want me to take care of it? And we're like, yes, God. Please fix that part in me because it's hurt. And then the thing is, when we surrender to him and he starts digging into our hearts, you know what he finds, don't you? He finds more brokenness. He finds more sin. And then it's like he taps the shoulder and goes, you want me to take care of this too? I can be here all day, right? The sin in our life, our broken parts, must be fixed. And if we don't surrender our lives to God and allow him to do that, his grace and mercy is big enough to do that. His grace and mercy is big enough to wipe away our sins and fix that brokenness. But if we don't let him do that, it's just going to reside there and we'll always be broken. And that matter of fact, that's what a lot of us do. We're like, I'll just fix it myself. Because really, I could have done that with my own car. I really could have. I, I thought about this. I had a lot of thought. Like, okay, if they don't fix it, uh, well, I could, first of all, I could, put up, I could put plastic. I'll just tape up plastic, but here's the problem. Go to the drive throughs it's going to be a problem getting my food through the drive-thru, through the window, right? So how about cardboard? I'll just put cardboard, but i got to cut a hole so I can see through the mirror. But of course, you know, for me, it's like having tinted windows. Of course, I can't see out, right? Uh, maybe saran wrap, duct tape. Uh, maybe I could use something like that because duct tape fixes everything, right? And I thought, well, maybe i just leave it wide open. I've always wanted a sunroof, but now it'll just be on my side. So maybe that's what I can do. I can just, but you know, all my thoughts on how I can fix it, is the problem still there? Yes, it's still there. And the same thing with sin in our life. I can try to fix all the brokenness in my heart, but the thing is, it is still there because only God can remove it and fix it. Here's what we need to do. Here's what you and I need to do. We need to admit that the stuff in our hearts, the broken things in our lives, are unfixable by us. We must admit that there is a holy, powerful forgiving God who is full of grace wants to fix that for you. And the only one who can bridge that gap between us and God, his name is Jesus Christ. The eternal son of God in whom God became man and he took the penalty himself. See, Jesus was God's plan to save us. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be all over the New Testament today. Acts chapter 2, and I'll, I'll probably give you the, the, where it's found, and good luck in finding it. We'll put it on the screen as well. The book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. There you go. You found it. Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 22, it says this. It says, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, Wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death 
and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Verse 32 goes on to say, God raised Jesus from the dead. We're all witnesses to this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see in here today. When I'm reading this scripture, I'm realizing, you know what God's eternal plan was in his whole brokenness of our lives? This was his plan all along. There is sin in our life. There's brokenness in our life. Who's going to bridge that gap? And God's like, I've had this plan all along. It's been revealed to you. And in the book of Acts, we read what it is. Jesus, the Nazarene, divine and human. Divine and human. Let me repeat that because for some of you to picture God in the flesh being divine and human, if you think too long on this, you will have an instant migraine because it's so hard to comprehend. But this is what it is. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, it says this, starting in verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son, that's Jesus Christ, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. See, God can't die, but he had to become a human being so he could die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. He goes on to say in verse 16, we also know that the Son, that's Jesus Christ, did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it's necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. God became flesh, became Jesus Christ, so that we can relate to what he is going on. He can relate to what's going on with us, and only by that can he save us. God can't die. Man can. God becomes man so he can die, so he can take our penalty. And you think about this. He becomes this perfect example for, example for true humanity. He lived this sinless, righteous life, perfect life before God. So that why? So that he could be a perfect sacrifice as an advocate to our Father. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God, one mediator, that's Jesus, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. How are we going to connect mankind and God? It's Jesus Christ, that mediator, the one who reconciles us, the one who brings us together. So Jesus offers to God, okay, think about this. Jesus offers to God everything that we owe God and cannot pay him back. I cannot pay the penalty for all my sins. I can't make it right with God. I owe him big time. And Jesus comes out and says, I'm going to take everything you owe, and I'm going to take care of it to God. He is our mediator there. Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there in your Bibles, would you please? You're in Acts, go past Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. 
says this. Paul says this. See, once, as he's talking, you can hear him talking to us. Once you were dead because of your disobedience from your many sins. See, because we sin, we mess up, we are spiritually dead. Ain't no reviving going on. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, who's the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in our hearts of those who refuse to obey God. When you see people disobeying God, you know that there's work going on there that is not godly. Paul's trying to explain this. He goes on to say this in the next verse. All of us used to live that way. See, before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you didn't care what you did with your life. You had maybe some kind of small moral compass going on in your life, like, this is right or wrong, I think so. But here's the thing. If you did wrong, whatever. You maybe felt a little bit of guilt. But you lived passionately after the flesh. We are following the passionate desires, the inclinations of our sinful natures, what Paul says. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. Because we are sinners, God looks at us and says, I'm holy God, you're not, you're messed up, my wrath is going to be poured on you. That's not good for us, is it? But check out the next verse. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages. I love this. Like God points to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Don't miss this next verse. God saved you by his grace when we believed, not when you went to church, not when you put money in the offering, not when you memorized a bunch of verses, not when you were super kind to everybody around you, not when you got baptized, not when you got sprinkled, not when you got hosed down, not when, I don't know, you got pulled behind a boat and, and told you better give your life to Jesus, whatever it may be. You were not saved. God saved you when you believed. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was. That's when he saved you. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. Otherwise, we'd boast about it. Look at all these good things I've done. Oh, here's your salvation. Thanks. Just like I got my, my merit badge. I got my salvation badge, right? It's like, no, you can't earn it. It's grace. Getting what you do not deserve. Now, let me say this again. Death is the punishment for sin. Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin, bring us back to God. By his substitutionary, atoning death, he alone redeems us. Only he can do this. Only he can snatch us from hell and put us into the position of being in eternity with God in the presence of him. Jesus, think about this. Jesus did this for you and me. He did this for you and me. Do you ever think about that? I mean, we sing about all these songs about Jesus, but do you, have you really thought about what he did for you? I mean, this was God's plan 
See, there's a lot of people who believe in God, but they do not believe in his son, Jesus Christ. I hear it all the time. I believe in a higher power. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, I believe in a higher power. Then you don't believe in Jesus. They say that like, what, 70 to 80% of America calls themselves Christians? I'm going to say probably 10% are Christians. Christians are followers of Jesus Christ who have confessed their mouth, believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. They see him as their Savior and Lord. Not just as a, well, yeah, I go to church and, I, and I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. There's a big difference. Les Lawless was asking me about this because he said, you know, you talk to somebody who said, what do I, what do I say to this person who has, you know, they, they, they supposedly, you know, they, they say they believe in a higher power. And I said, here's the thing. If they don't believe in Jesus Christ, that's it. Without Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. You can believe in a higher power. You can believe in a God. But if there is no Jesus, there is no salvation. That's scriptural. So you better be able to answer this question, church. Who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? See, some people, religious leaders. Oh, the religious leaders. Let's talk about religious leaders, people like me, right? The religious leaders in the Bible, in John chapter 8, they said, that Jesus guy, he's demon-possessed. Or there's other people in the Bible, like his family, his own family. In the book of Mark chapter 3, they came to the house where Jesus was teaching. They're like, "Uh, we need to get him out of here. He's crazy. Right? A little loony. His own family thought he was crazy. Religious leaders thought he was demon-possessed. Hometown friends, Matthew chapter 13. The people from his own hometown were offended by him. We refused to listen to him. What? I grew up in this town. We don't care. You offend us. Get out of here. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Jesus uh, was described as being a dead prophet who came back to life. He's just a dead prophet. He's like, he must be Elijah. Maybe he's Moses. Come back. He's just a really good prophet. He's a great teacher. Jesus asked his own disciples, who do you say I am? Peter's like, you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Well said, Peter. But yet in Matthew chapter 28, it says, and some of the disciples doubted. After 27 chapters of seeing all that Jesus went through, including his resurrection, you still doubt? Who is this Jesus to you? If you were to open up the book to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 5, you'll see the demon-possessed people that Jesus confronts. And what do they say? You are the Holy One. You are the Son of the Most Living High. James chapter 2, verse 19. Remember we talked about that? Even the demons believe, and they what? They shudder. See, the demons know who Jesus is. Mankind, we're a little confused about who Jesus is. We must be clear on the identity of who Jesus Christ is. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, right? We, we, we worship Him at Christmas time because we're so glad He came. And the rest of the year, we're like, well, we'll sort of talk about Him. Talk about Him all the time. Hey, I'm a big fan of Christmas. You know, I do take my lights down. I finally took my tree down and I don't know, April, May sometime, and then it finally, finally died on me. Um, it was in the backyard. And everybody's like, that tree is amazing. I know, right? But every time I looked out, I'm thinking Jesus, right? I should be thinking Jesus all the time. All the time. You see, once we discover who Jesus really is, it changes us. 
As believers in Jesus Christ, it changes us. We must respond. He is more than a great teacher. He is more than a divine miracle worker. He is, he's more than this kind and compassionate man that likes to touch people and make them feel good about themselves. He is Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, our Redeemer and Rescuer. In your Bibles, go to the book of Colossians. If you're in Ephesians, just flip over a couple more books, a couple more pages to the book of Colossians. This scripture, you need to write this one down, underline it, because if you're like, who is Jesus? Just come to this one. If you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, all the stories of Jesus, come to throughout the other small books written by Paul. But here in Colossians, I love what it says about Jesus. It says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Think about that. I have no idea what God looks like. But you know, when I look at Jesus, I see God. He existed before anything was created, supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers. And authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. In the book of Genesis, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was there. Chapter 2. Let's make man in our image. Jesus was there through all creation because he is eternal as he is God. He goes on to say, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. Not a pastor, not the deacons, elders, leaders. It's Christ who's the head of the church. He's the beginning, again, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How did he do this? By the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, True North Church. Though we were once far away from God, we were his enemies. We were separated from God by our evil thoughts and our actions. Yet now he has reconciled us to himself through the death of Christ in the physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Let that sink in. I, you know, I don't know why, but my sister-in-law is like, Rex, we want you to help do David's funeral. I'm sitting there going, okay, whatever you want, I'll do it for you. I'm thinking, how's this going to go down, right? And so part of my role at my brother's funeral is I'm standing over the cask, and there's my bro, and I'm, and I'm like talking about him, and it's like, okay, well, he is my brother, though, so there does need to be a little bit of roasting, okay, because... You know, we need to talk about some of his faults and some of the things he did that were not good. Because at a funeral, all we talk about are the good things of people, right? Let's just talk about all the good things. Some of the faults of my brother, though, I now understand why he was that way or what he did for the sake of somebody else. Sometimes he made a mistake, but he did it to maybe help somebody else out, right? But here's the thing. You know why it's so good at a funeral for us to talk only about the good things of people? Because when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and his spirit comes into us, we are clothed in the righteousness of God. You know how God looks at us? He looks at us with righteousness. He does not see our faults. He does not see the negative things in our lives. We are clothed in his righteousness. As you look at the scripture here, and as you think about this, we're holy and blameless. 
as we stand before God without a single fault. That's how God sees you and I. Because you have asked for forgiveness. He has forgiven you. Doesn't that make you feel good to know it's like, he forgave me. Because sometimes people around me don't forgive me, right? I'm just amazed that my disobedience was covered by the obedience of Jesus Christ. He saved me. He saved you. He gave us grace. We didn't deserve it. We got what we do not deserve. How does that, how does that change you, church? How does that hit you? If you're, you're sitting here listening, I, I hope you're still tuned in. I hope you're not thinking about lunch. I hope you haven't wandered off into the NFL. I hope you're still here thinking about like, the grace of God has saved me. I mean, what does that do? Every single sin that you and I have committed, God forgives. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read this. It says, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, right? How different we know him now. Think about it. There are some people, right? There might be somebody in this room. There are people in this community. They don't know who Jesus Christ is. He's just a, he's just a word they use when they get mad. Or they think he's a historical figure, Right? At one time, people just thought of him as a merely a human point of view. Look at what it says here. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, you're a Christian, you become a new person. Old life is gone, new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I hope this has become clear to you this morning that we need Jesus Christ. I'm saying that we should be doing something about this. When your team wins, how do you celebrate? I mean, if it's a normal game and you win, there's some cheering, there's some applause, there's some whoop, whoop, whatever it might be, I don't know. If it's a really big game, there might be confetti and balloons. You might even come back to your small community and they're like, get on the fire trucks, we're going to take you around town and, and you're going to get an escort. There might be something big like that. If it's a promotion at a job, you, you get home from your work, it's like, I got a promotion, let's go out to eat, let's go celebrate. If it's a birthday, I made it through another year. Let's celebrate. Cake, party, whatever it may be. You just got married, there's going to be a reception. There's going to be dancing. There's going to be music. We're going to have a great time. You see, every time something phenomenal happens, we celebrate. Spiritually speaking, I just gave my life to the Lord. Oh, praise God. And we go on. It's like, are you kidding me? Where's the party? There, there should be a celebration, right? When you graduate, what do we do? Oh, we take pictures. We have an open house. Come on in, man. My kid made it, you know. He got through it. Oh, we didn't think he could. A lot of people think about us spiritually like that too. It's like, I gave my life to Jesus. You did? Praise God, they let you in. Oh, God's grace is overflowing, right? But here's the thing. When we spiritually win, there should be a celebration, God wanted a relationship with you and he wants to escort you out of this ugly life and give you a righteous life. And, and he just loves you so much, right? I've been rescued from hell. I've got eternity in the presence of God. I should be excited about it. There should be a party. We should tell others. Matter of fact, if 
two weeks ago, we had a young man give his life to the Lord. He was in here, sort of fidgeting around. He was hearing the gospel, got up, went out in the lobby, talked to one of our guys on security, and prayed and gave his life to Christ. And it's like, there should have been a party. should have came in here, and we should have, woo! You know, listen, if you've not been baptized, you need to get baptized. I'm just going to say that, okay? You know what baptism is? It's the public showing of, I have faith in Jesus Christ, and I want everybody to know. We will get the, the baptismal out next week. We'll put it up here. We'll put water in it. I promise we'll heat it up. It'll be warm water, okay? And we will, we'll baptize you. Why? Because there should be celebration of our faith. We need to let others know that we have faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. This is what Paul said. He goes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy. He appointed me to serve him. And even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence. I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Paul's like, I was a messed up man. I had some bad, some of you are thinking, but I've got some bad stuff in my life. Oh, you don't know Paul's life. He's like, I was the worst of sinners. And then he goes on to say this. Oh, how generous and gracious the Lord was. He filled me with faith and the love that comes from where? Jesus Christ, right? This is a trustworthy saying. Everybody should accept it. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them all, Paul said. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience and even the worst of sinners. Then others realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. It's like, listen, you think you're messed up? He saved me. If he can save me, he can save you. He can save your neighbor. He can save your coworker. He can save that person in the school who picks on you and bullies you. God can save them. Because if he can save us, he can save anybody. That's basically what Paul's saying. And he concludes by this, all honor and glory to God forever. He's the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. So church, let me ask you this. How are you responding to all this? Are you thankful for the grace of God? Are you thankful for the mercy that he shows you? When you hear the name of Jesus, do you humbly admit and say, that's the best name out there because that's the name that saved me? I mean, listen, if you were drowning in a pond and somebody jumps in and they pull you out to safety... Aren't you ever in their debt? Don't you, every time you look at them and they, somebody says their name, you're like, that person saved me. I owe them. Matter of fact, I might, I might go out and want to change my life now because of what they've done for me. Because that's my testimony. Because my, one of my brothers, Terry, pulled me out of a pond when I was drowning and saved me. You know, one of all my brothers, and I think about the, you know, how we pick on each other. But when I think of my brother, Terry, he's like, man, he saved me. I'm so thankful to be alive. And you know what? Matter of fact, I took swimming lessons right after that, and then I became a lifeguard because I figured, one, that better not happen to me again. Two, I better help other people. As a Christian, it's the same way. We've been rescued. So I better do something with that. I better respond, and I better help others because I don't want them to die either. A few weeks ago, I went to spend some time with my brother David as the weekend I was gone and Brian was filling the pulpit. And I was, it was just it was amazing, you know. In two months, my brother went from having a normal conversation to using a walker, sitting there, looking at me with the stare, not being able to complete a sentence. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, 
give me some words, brother, and we'd start a sentence, and that was it. And we were sitting there, and we ordered some pizza, and we're getting ready to eat, and um, my sister-in-law looked at David and said, hey, David, you want to pray for the meal? I'm going, oh, this will be interesting. Kid you not. He laid out this eloquent three, four-sentence prayer without skipping a beat. It's like, you know, he couldn't remember my name too well, couldn't finish the sentence, but he knows who his Savior is. And he spoke eloquently to his Lord and blessed the food. Sin and death are just part of this world. But God sent Jesus to rescue us from this world. So we should stand amazed and give thanks. The life of a Christian should be different than everybody else. It really should be. You know, a day after visiting my brother, I had to go to this conference and it was like a three-day thing and I only made it for two because of my car and I told you about that last week. But got there and every morning we had called Morning Glory. Prayer and scripture reading and singing and the second morning, same thing. And we concluded with a song and it was a hymn. And usually we don't sing hymns, but we sang a hymn. And I was like, I probably have sung that song a thousand times. But for some reason... I melted there in that chair. I was like, this is so good. Why have I not recognized this hymn before? The song is written by Charles Hutchinson Gabriel. Grew up on a farm. His dad was a farmer and a music teacher. At age 15, Charles is like, you know what? I'm going to be a songwriter at age 15. Age 16, his father passes away, and he takes over the job at the school as a music teacher helping with teaching music. And as he moves on through his life, he starts publishing a song after song, hymn after hymn. Matter of fact, he published over 7,000 hymns in his lifetime. Maybe you've heard some of these hymns. His eyes on the sparrow, will the circle be unbroken? The old rugged cross, crown him with many crowns. Away in a manger, I know you've heard that one. But my favorite as of today is the one called I Stand Amazed in This Presence. Also known as How Marvelous or My Savior's Love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song that we're going to sing. Because in light of what I just shared for you with Scripture, the grace that we've received from God, the fact that He would send His only Son, Jesus Christ, just for us, that should impact us. The words go like this. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner, condemned, Unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered. He died alone. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransom and glory is 
face I at last shall see. T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, how marvelous. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. I don't know. I've, I've researched. I've tried to find out. Why did he write this song? What was the inspiration for him to, to sing these lyrics over and over? To keep saying, how marvelous, how, how wonderful. That's my song. How marvelous, how wonderful. That, that's my song. What inspired him? I couldn't find it. Except in scripture. It's the grace of God. That he would take our sins. Yeah, I began with a question and a riddle. How does God continue to amaze you? What is it that I've learned through my life that I'm now finally figuring it out? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Would you stand, please? So as I said, what do we give to somebody, God, who's given us everything? I mean, seriously, church, what can you give to our God who has everything? Our worship. Our worship. All I can offer him is worship. To bow before him. To admit that he is God. To sing to him. To speak to him. To speak highly of him. That's what he wants. He wants our worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is your love for me, your grace for me, your mercy for me. God, there might be somebody in this room right now who's never confessed with their mouth or believed in their heart that you are God and that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us, to to fix our brokenness. Maybe there's somebody in this room that they believe in a higher power they believe in God but they've never believed in your son Jesus Christ and what your eternal plan was to rescue them God right now be great time for anyone in this room who's never confessed to confess their sins to say God I'm sorry for these things that I've done please forgive me come into my life God save me rescue me and be the Lord of my life Help me to pursue you on a daily basis. And God, if there's somebody in this room, which might be the majority of us, I don't know, we've, we've already prayed and we've already confessed these sins and we, we know, we believe in our hearts that you are Lord and your Son, Jesus Christ, is our Savior. Maybe it's time for us to start celebrating the grace that you've given us. To not wait until a final day when somebody's gone and say, I wish I would have told them, God, today's the day to tell people that we love them, that you love them, that you love them so much, that you gave up your son. What a sacrifice. It's grace. We did not deserve it, but you gave it. So God, speak to our hearts right now. Help us to respond in a way that honors you. God, as we sing this song, let us sing of how marvelous and how wonderful your love is for us, Lord. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.